Hello and welcome to the Practical Leadership Podcast, where I interview great leaders and try to extract their wisdom and their experience for you to learn from and hopefully avoid making their mistakes. If you want to upgrade your leadership skills in 25 minutes, check out practical-leadership.academy. Welcome, Liz Guthridge in Charleston, South Carolina in the United States, and Aruna Ulvnas in Oslo, Norway. Would you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Liz, would you mind going first? Thank you, Paul. Glad to be here. So yes, I work as an executive coach. And actually, one of the first things I wanted to do besides working in baseball um, was to be a journalist. And But I decided I was too opinionated to be a really effective journalist. So I switched into corporate communications. Yet I found years later that the training I got as a journalist to ask questions and to listen very carefully has really helped me be an effective executive coach. And I morphed into coaching because more and more of my clients were asking my advice. And I felt very uncomfortable doing that as a, as a boomer. I wanted the training. So I went back and I did the two for one and I was very interested in neuroscience. So I did a neuroscience-based coaching program. And so my emphasis on coaching is to come at it from a very brain-friendly way. And then I've also got a background in behavior design. So looking for ways to make things easy for people to do things, because we are basically couch potatoes, um, mental couch potatoes, because we are so interested in preserving our energy in case a lion, tiger, or bear comes at us that we need to really think about how do we intentionally get things done. So that's my my focus as I work with individuals. I love that mental couch potatoes. Yeah, yes, that is um, Matthew Lieberman's phrase from UCLA, who wrote the book Social: How We're All Wired to Be Social. So it's not my phrase. I, I've heard it called intentional laziness, deliberate laziness, functional laziness. And it's not you know mm-hmm. lying back and hoping the world's going to pass you by. It's actually what's the bare minimum I need to get done. Good. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. Runa. Yes, um, I'm an engineer, uh, but uh, started to work in '96 uh, with the internet, and that was quite uh, chaotic. I, in fact, worked one year in, in Silicon Valley uh, as a business uh, developer. Uh, in mid 2000, I started working with uh, this Norwegian classified uh, site called Fin.no. Uh, in uh, a part of a big, the Norway's largest uh, media uh, company, and uh, the way the leaders, or the, the way the business was working, was was not good. Uh, we had a lot of faults, we had a lot of trouble. Uh, people did not talk to each other, uh, and at the same time, I took a master's degree uh, in in leadership, specializing in, in lead and lean and organizational learning. That was the big change for me, uh, try managing to, to transfer this company uh, to a much better place. And I thought that, well, I might do this for a few more years. Uh, so in 2008, I started as a management consulting, working with strategy and technology. And I've been doing that ever since. And I realized that I'll probably do that until I retire because it's... Uh, the, the job was uh, slightly uh, bigger than I originally thought. It's going to take you a bit longer to get it right. <laughs> yes. 
it was so easy in this uh, uh, smaller uh, company than than uh, for the society in general to to grasp onto to creativity and, and complex uh, and leading complex projects. Um, can they, well, let's stay with you, Runa. So, what are the common questions people ask you? Uh, and the most common question I I get is, did I invent uh, Titleist tights? <laughs> Uh, and then I say, well, invent, invent. <laughs> it's uh, uh, it's uh, of course inspired by by many. Uh, I, I guess I have some kind of value <laughs> into creating this, uh, but it's mostly uh, inspired by like or, or, uh, organizational learning uh, and lean and especially Scrum. First time I heard about. Type plus tight was uh, mid 2000 when I worked in this uh, classified site, uh, but I could not find any information of it. I had a colleague that uh, was visiting Toyota, so uh, um, but she she do not recall telling me about it, so she did not tell. But I guess uh, I'm looking forward to hear hear from Liz because you probably know a little bit more about this than than I do. Just a little. <laughs> there you go. That's that's this, this is your cue, Liz. Yeah, it's not a strong origin story for tight Liz tight, which we can we can talk about later. But in terms of the the questions, people really don't ask me about tight Liz tight as much as they ask me about really two issues these days: a lot about alignment, a lot about influence. And I think that's because of the type of organizations I'm working with mostly as well as other things. These days, I focus a lot on healthcare, professional services, um, high tech, as well as nonprofits. I do a lot of work with nonprofit boards. And so especially when you're dealing with a lot with knowledge workers who are wanting to be have a lot of autonomy about what they're doing, that's where the alignment piece comes really into challenge. And, and then another question is, how do you be influential, especially when you're dealing with People have very diverse points of view, backgrounds, and experiences. How should you then be influential if you have all these different experiences coming in? So these days, to be influential, it's best to be do it in a very brain-friendly way. And that is getting people's attention first and making sure that you pique their interest with curiosity or something that interests them and really make sure that they are aware of you and what you're wanting to talk to them about. And from there, go with facts. Don't lead with facts, but instead get them to start thinking about it because you want to hit them so that they're paying attention to you. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much. And is there a question that people should be asking you? I think the question that people should be asking is, uh, am I doing everything I can to get the right people on my teams. And rather than just accepting a group of people on your team, really being intentional about the, the individuals from their skill set and their capacity and their willingness to work together. Mm. I mean, intentional conflict, I think, can be useful if it's creative. But otherwise, I can, you, you can easily tip over into the destructive piece. That leads, Liz, that's a, it's a lovely point about getting the right people in your team. Runa, you had a, a quote in one of your presentations where you're saying you're trying to get people to be free in how they do what they do. But a lot of the leaders were saying, 
I can't trust people to do that. My team are full of idiots, I think, is actually your quote. Yes. Quite a, a harsh quote. Just a touch. Um, probably what he's seeing is a reflection of his own management style. It's very difficult when if, if you have a leader that's not believing that you can change. So it's a very exciting background, Liz, with the, with the plasticity uh, brain. We're plas- plastic uh, people. We have plastic brains. It's like a muscle and, and we, uh, we can change. Uh, but if you don't believe that, uh, not much is happening around you either. Perhaps you end up staying as the couch potato. Yes. <laughs> sitting there eating far too much pizza and chips in front of the TV. And we never actually go out and uh, get, get the workout that we all need. Yeah. I, th- I think that's one of the most important uh, uh, aspects of being a leader or, or a father or, or a teacher uh, yeah. is to, to see the potential uh, in, in the one you're, you're leading uh, and, and, uh, and, 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 see and try to, to help them. Or, or, or be there for them, supporting their, uh, their change, or, or what they try to do. Well, let's, let's get into the, the tight, loose, tight piece here. And we, we start perhaps with you, is what brought you to the concept? How did it evolve in your experience? So I can remember specifically being in a conference room summer of 2000, and I had just joined David Nadler's firm, Mercer Delta um, Consulting, change consulting shop and we were getting an indoctrination and one of the models that we worked with was tight loose tight and at the time it was primarily for strategy purposes and at the time nobody really knew its origin it was just something that was very popular for a lot of the conglomerates that at that time they were kind of getting out of style but yet it was viewed as something to make sure that you knew. And so that was just an effective way to tell the presidents of the units, we're going to be tight on your strategy, you're loose on the execution, and we're going to be tight on the measures we ask of you. And over the years, it just seemed to be a really effective way to use in other situations. So certainly Agile, when it came about, started to pick up on that. And then, I mean, I find it absolutely useful for meetings, for a lot of creative groups as well, um, because it can appeal to people's autonomy in um, giving creative types to to do things. In, in 2008, I was uh, starting as a, an advisor. Um, and what I saw was a lot of leaders uh, that were told uh, through Agile, uh, stop doing things. They should stop making plans. They should stop uh, <laughs> uh, writing documentation uh, and uh, working as a leader and with many leaders. I knew that leaders are terrible of not doing anything. So they have to do something. Uh, so, so the idea was to, to teach them how to work in a more agile way as as leader. Uh, so then I worked on, on a document to, to not talk to them about so much what they should stop doing, but uh, talk more about what they should start doing. Uh, so that why was the reason I, I was talking a lot about tight loose tights. Uh, but what was most important uh, in my first years was the loose tight loose. Uh, and that's where you, you don't know the team and they have a, a lot of detailed uh, documentation or, or, or requirement specifications of what to create. And no one really cares 
about what they have created. What's the purpose? Is the users using the solution? So that I think was grabbing most uh, attention the first uh, first years. And lately, it's more of the tightest tight part. I mean, if I think about how most projects that I've been part of, or most teams that I've been part of, really start, and we we, we want to control activity, and we can control and measure and manage activity a lot more easily than we can understand why we're doing something, we start with why, or the outputs of something, which can be ambiguous. So then that's just the natural... Yes, because it's so it's so concrete, uh, and I can be loyal to you, yeah, you know, I can be active uh, and solve all this, create all these features or, or do these tasks that you expect from me. Uh, but I have been in several companies uh, f- trying to find out if these solutions built in a loose, tight, loose way has users. Is it being used? What's the success rate? Uh, and at uh, fin.no, uh, the classified sites, and mm-hmm. 50% were not clicked on by, by oh. users. Uh, and other clients, uh, 30% of the solution was used. 70% were not looked upon. Or, or used by, by users. So, of course, then it's a lot of cost creating something that really don't meet anyone's uh, expectation or, or needs. Liz, do you see that when you're talking about this in terms of strategy? Do you see that you might well be carefully planning and tightly formulating a strategy that nobody's ever actually going to use? I mean, how do you then translate this concept into something that's more practical? <laughs> Perfect consultant answer. It just really depends. And so much of this is, again, how are you doing this on a strategic scale for a total organization versus more a strategic scale on a particular project? So, for example, in the learning and development space, which I work in a lot, there is more of the tight, loose, tight is a is a great way to do this because somebody will have a concept of what they need strategically. And so we'll think about, okay, this these are the, the directives we're going to give to the team who's going to work on it to give them latitude. And then oftentimes too, with the discovery phase in which you, you do get in, input from your end user, your customer. And I think that's, that's a big, regardless of if you're using tight, loose, tight or anything, I think it's really important to, to try to get the voice of the customer what they're wanting to use and wanting to do. And so voice of the customer, that could even be, uh, is what is the output? What's the thing you want people to be able to do after you've done your job? Not necessarily the measure of the activity or even the delivery of the thing you're doing. It's the ultimate business or customer output. For example, in a learning and development situation, how are you going to get feedback? How are you going to um, learn how to, um, we were talking earlier, to influence people. I mean, a class on that, whatever. I mean, so so you can do it in a very, more of a micro perspective in terms of particular projects like that versus what you want your strategy to be as as a firm. Do you have some particular way of applying this? Do you have a tool, a technique, a methodology? So if somebody wants to say, right, okay, where does start? The first uh, step uh, is to create uh, cross-functional teams. If you don't have that, uh, you really need that uh, cross-functional product teams and then start uh, practicing, start uh, practice to let go and, and start practice to, to, to measure uh, the outcome and uh, gradually uh, improve the process. So to, to set up a process, I think it's uh, that's the agile way of doing this. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's uh, very important, I think. So you don't get one shot 
at uh, having a success, but you, you get several opportunities to, to improve how, how you lead and how you... So you, uh, you iterate improve. as you go along. Yes. Liz, is there anything, how, would, how else would you make this doable, make it a job? The other thing is to be very explicit about using the concept of tight, loose, tight. Yes. Because that is very helpful for people to know, okay, we have a very specific purpose. We've got a very specific goals. We've got any other specifications that you've got, especially something like timing. And then letting people know we're going to have some latitude in how you get there, but here's what we want to measure. Here are the outcomes we want. And so that works particularly well for knowledge workers. And then the other thing that's really important along those lines is to be really explicit about the resources available and the assumptions you're operating under, because that if if everybody comes to this with different assumptions, that can cause some problems. Then adapt or totally rehaul. Okay, so you're building building on what exists already. So we've got Werner. You're starting with your cross-functional teams, pulling people together. Everybody's going to have a different purpose, though. I mean, it goes back to the point of my team are full of well, they're not idiots, but they're just full of people with different purposes, yes. with different baselines of understanding. What would what would either of you say about how do you pull these people together? What you're going in different directions, you've got different levels of knowledge. You want to build a team that's high performing. Where'd you start? Most companies have several teams, several leaders doing this uh, differently. Uh, so what's important to have a coach available, uh, I think, uh, paying attention uh, and uh, and see who succeeds because some do succeed doing this in a more natural way. Uh, and for others, it's more difficult. So you just pull out uh, the success cases uh, and let them shine and let them tell about uh, uh, how they're doing it, uh, what they're doing, why have they gotten this great results uh, and then we spread the word and, and teach other in doing the exact same so you're creating your own marketing campaign with some testimonials i mean you had some great success stories um i'll, I'll share links to to your video and articles there Runa, as well then just as we're wrapping up on this can i ask you then and liz i will credit you this is absolutely a great question if you could thank your younger self for doing something what would that be oh you want me to start off okay so my um my thanks to myself which i actually did recently because i decided i like this question a lot better than the other was to thank myself for as, as a teenager seeking out some role models and one of them gave me some unsolicited advice which i followed which has been absolutely terrific and I recently, he's reached out to him. He's now 80 years old. And besides being an excellent businessman, he's also a philanthropist. And actually, I heard back from him last night because I had encountered him in a summer job. And he said that he um, is going to go ahead and give me some more unsolicited advice at the age of 80, which is to basically keep working and keep your brain, keep your brain going, but also make sure you do have some time for exercise and fun. That was a wonderful story. Thank you very much indeed. Runa, your turn. What would you give thanks to your younger self? What were they so wise to do that made you who you are? I was uh, quite both eager and persistent in my first years. In your question, you said 23 years. Uh, and I think I was 25 years uh, when I told not my boss, but my boss's boss, that if I didn't get the budget I wanted, I would uh, leave my job. Uh, and 
he laughed and, and, and gave me a better budget. So that was good. So I didn't have to leave my job. And I meant it. Uh, so I had this attitude of, uh, of, uh, uh, of fixing or, or creating stuff that uh, uh, I really did not know. Uh, if it was possible, but I assumed it was possible, uh, and I just uh, dove, di- uh, did dive straight into it and trying to solve it. So, uh, and that is, uh, I was more bold then than now, I, I think, <laughs> because this kind of attitude when when you're forty five year old, people don't laugh; uh, they get scared. <laughs> so I had to to learn to to not have this attitude so much if i could ask you then runa you carry on where can people find you uh what can you bring to their table thank uh thank you for asking that yeah you can find me on on linkedin uh, i i'm writing uh a lot of stuff so you can find me there and follow me or or, or connect with me there uh, I, I do training courses both uh, corporate uh, uh tailored uh, courses and uh, and uh, and open classes as well as well Liz. So I'm on LinkedIn as well, and I do, we've talked about a lot of executive coaching. I also do consulting, and I'm I'm working with two other individuals right now on a book around communication. We're actually, this idea of one of the models of of tight, loose, tight, as well as tight, 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 which is more appropriate for, for some operations. And so if anybody has any great stories, always interested in that. And then if any, if you need help with anything regarding how to use your brain better, I'll be glad to be um, a way a way to support you in that. Thank you both very much indeed for joining. I've really enjoyed our conversation. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining me today. Your homework, subscribe and share this with a friend or colleague. Please leave your five-star review and any comments you have because that really helps me to improve every day and it helps people to discover me online. If you want to upgrade your leadership skills in 25 minutes, you should check out practical-leadership.academy.